Heavenly Father, God, this, it is such a great time to be alive. God, it's such a great time to be your follower. It's such a great time to be a disciple. God, I, I thank you for sending your son to earth to stand in our place and pay the penalty that was due to us to satisfy justice on our behalf. I thank you for the good news, for the gospel that you've given us. God, this morning as we approach your word, as we approach uh, Galatians chapter 1 here, God, give us understanding, help us to hear. Regardless of where we're at here this morning, Lord, I'm so thankful for each person who's here. Whether this is their first time through the door or their thousandth time here. God, I'm so thankful for each one, Lord. I pray that each one of us, including me, would hear what you would have to say to us this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your good news. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> just want to give you guys just a quick update, too. So we're praying. I know um, last week was the first week that our church met in two locations. And so those of you who are new um, may not realize that we have a second location of the Firehouse Church uh, that meets on the very far south side of town. Um, and just to give you guys an update, they uh, uh, were planning to start meeting in a charter school and found this great deal and uh, we're going to meet this morning, but uh, they suddenly got called on like Thursday night and said, we are so sorry, we had already booked a volleyball clinic on this Sunday and next Sunday, so you can't have the building for three weeks. So, they're flexible, that's part of church planting, right? Um, and so they're meeting at uh, Rich and Morgan's house this morning. So just be praying for them. Uh, I think everybody's encouraged and they're just trusting God um, through it. And I think it's going to be a great time. So anyway, there's a little update on our south location. Um, here, right here in the Highlands, we are on Sunday mornings going through this series on Galatians. Last week was sort of our, our kickoff. And I know a number of you were here. But just to give you a little bit of review, um, the purpose of Galatians, the purpose of this letter that was written by Paul... To some churches there in Asia Minor, about 50 AD, um, Paul was really trying to exhort those believers. He wanted them to adhere to the true gospel, the true gospel, a true gospel which brings both justification and sanctification through faith. And so a key theme that we see throughout this letter that we sort of have here as our, our title of this series is that the gospel brings about a new life in all who believe it. And so we're taking about 10 to 15 verses at a time. And so today we're in the second half of uh, chapter 1. But I think it's good for us to review. One of the things we're going to learn as we go along here is that um, we need to continue to preach the good news to ourselves. Even if we've seen it. And so we're going to have a little review about... The good news. So, what is the gospel, or how can I have a right relationship with God? And we've gone through this before, but maybe some of you are new, or again, we all need review. And so, I'm just going to kind of go over what exactly is the good news. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, people use the word gospel. This is the gospel here. So, the way the world, the universe is set up is that God has designed it, and God has this perfect design where things are supposed to work out. Everything is supposed to be altogether great and wonderful, but there's a problem. 
And that problem is me. The problem is you. The problem is each one of us. And each one of us have sinned, do sin. And we have this sin, and that sin takes us away. It takes us out of God's design into brokenness. That's interesting. Anyway, that is a circle of brokenness. Sometimes we rely on technology and it does that to us. That's the circle of brokenness. So we're no longer in God's design. We're in brokenness. And we want to get back to God's design. I think we all have a a heart and a desire to do that. And so we think there's these ways we can get back. We can get out of brokenness. What's going on? There we go. All right, these ways, good deeds, religion, pleasure, philosophy, all kinds of things. We say, ah, it's going to get me out of brokenness, get me away from this, this problem. But brokenness is like gravity, and it pulls us all back in. All of those things, they don't lead us back to God's design. They lead us back to brokenness. So what do we do? And this is where the gospel is unique. God says, I'm going to reach out to you. And he comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And what is so important about Jesus Christ? Well, we learned about last week, Jesus Christ was fully God, and he came to earth. He lived a sinless life. At the end of his sinless life, he died. He was killed on a cross, and that death satisfied the judgment due to us, that wage of sin. Remember we talked about that? The wage of sin that is death, Jesus satisfied that. And then after he'd done that, he rose again came back to life and he defeated death. And so the result of that is we have this opportunity where we can turn from our brokenness and we can believe. We can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And from that we have the opportunity to recover and pursue God's design. And so that's the gospel. The gospel is unique because there is no other worldview, no other value system, no other approach like it. In the world, there are no other options where God, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator, reaches out to mankind. But, and this is one of those messages in Galatians, we have to be careful lest we corrupt it or we follow other people who have corrupted it. And so you remember from last week we had these equations. Jesus plus nothing is everything But when we add something to Jesus, we get nothing. So today we're going to pick up chapter 1 right there in verse 10. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to it. Keep it open and follow along. Or if you have an electronic device and you have a Bible on that, you can use that as well. We'll trust that you're not texting or checking on football scores this morning. So here's Galatians chapter 1 verses 10 to 24. I'll read it for us. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. 
and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being even being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So that's the passage for today. And so today we're going to look closer at Paul. We're going to look at how the gospel changed his life. And then we can think about how it can change ours as well. So our first point, hopefully everybody's got a handout and something to write with if you... If you want to do that, uh, Paul had an authority in the gospel. We talked about this some last week. Verses 11, 12, reiterate it. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's authority. He had this authority in Galatia. He'd been there. He'd been to these churches. He probably had helped start some of these churches. And he had this authority to cheat, to teach But this authority was being challenged by other teachers. And put that in air quotes, right? Other teachers. So who were these folks? Well, we'll learn more about them as we go on in Galatians. But these people actually wanted what they were teaching, which was actually a corruption of the gospel. They wanted it to be as valid as what Paul was teaching. And so to do this, they began to try to discredit him, right? I don't know about you guys, I'm really not looking forward to 2016 because we get to spend a whole year overcome here in the swing state of Colorado by political ads, right? Just like cancel the cable subscriptions, turn off the internet for a year, right? And what are political ads? They're just attempts to discredit, right? Almost, almost exclusively. And so that's kind of a political thing, but that's what a lot of people want to do is when they want to make themselves more valid, they have to discredit somebody else. And so that's what these guys were doing right there in Galatia. They were trying to discredit Paul. And so Paul is sort of giving his testimony of himself, of what's going on. And so he says, well, I'm going to refute this. I'm going to refute this attempt to discredit me, and I'm going to do it in three ways. So the first way... that he says that the gospel that he is teaching is not from others. It's not from others. We talked about that last week. The, the apostolic authority Paul had was from God. As he says there in verses 16 and 17, he said, I did not consult with flesh or blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those guys. So we learned last week that an apostle can be defined as one who is sent 
with a message with God's authority. In this case, sent with the message of the good news of the gospel. And so Paul is talking here about uh, how he received this revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, how did he receive it? Well, he had a little experience that's actually recorded somewhere else in the New Testament. And so I thought we would, we would read the story from Acts chapter 9 that talks about Paul. Now, just for a little context, remember that Paul was actually known as Saul beforehand. So when you see it referred to Saul here, that's talking about the same guy, right? And so here it is from Acts chapter 9. The first nine verses, it says, Now Saul, Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, or people who believe the gospel, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that wasn't just for an interview, right? As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So that's kind of the first part of the story about Paul and how he received this revelation directly from Jesus. It was not from people. It's from Jesus. And so because it, was, because it was from Jesus, he wasn't a messenger of other people. The guys from Jerusalem didn't send him out. Jesus sent him out. And so that's what he's saying here is that I am a messenger of Jesus and Jesus alone. The second refutation he makes is that he says, This gospel I'm teaching did not spring from my own scholarship. Talks about, for you have heard of my former manner of life, right? Paul was a scholar before he started preaching the gospel, and he had devoted his life to scholarly stuff. But that was not the gospel. He was devoted his life to Judaism and to the law. And those things are clearly not the gospel. And so Paul spent all this time thinking about things that were not the gospel, and then he spent all this effort. Thinking about killing Christians. And in doing that, he wasn't thinking about, well, what is the gospel? And what do they believe? And what do they think? And he didn't go through that. He was intent on killing them. Until he received the gospel. And at that point, Paul's life turned. He turned on a dime. It took a miraculous conversion to get him to think about, to even think about the gospel message. He didn't consider the message before. And so again, he was not the originator of this message. He didn't come up with it from spending a bunch of time in a seminary or a school somewhere. Jesus taught it to him. So the third thing he does to refute these teachers is he says that the gospel, although he didn't receive it from somebody, it was validated by, but not originated by, the other, gospel, the other apostles. 
It says there in, uh, <clears throat> in our passage from Galatians, he says, I was a, became acquainted with Peter. Right? So after he received this message, then he got to meet Peter. <clears throat> and so then he shared, hey, this is what I'm teaching. And his gospel encounter with Jesus was validated because there was a congruence of his message with what the apostles were already teaching <clears throat> in Jerusalem. When he went and he met with Peter and he met with James, <clears throat> they recognized immediately that his message was the gospel. Remember we talked about that last week? The gospel, not a gospel, the gospel. And what does it say in verse 24? They were glorifying God because of me. There was proof. And so in the face of this challenge to his apostolic authority, Paul reiterated that his message was directly from Jesus, not from others. Not from his own scholarship, and yet, <clears throat> yet it was validated by its congruence. So, Paul had this authority, and it began to work its way out in his life. And so, Paul's life was a demonstration of the gospel. Right? He talks about, I was advancing in Judaism, and then his life turned on a dime. And so, the problem... In Galatia, we'll talk about this more in coming weeks, was not with who the person of Jesus was. There was no question about, oh, Jesus was God, or he was fully God and fully man, or he rose from the dead, or any. That wasn't the issue. They weren't discussing whether that was true or not. The issue was there was these guys, these teachers. They were called Judaizers. And they were real intent on that law that Paul knew so much about. And they wanted to add that on top of the gospel, they wanted to add good works to the grace of God. But see, Paul, Paul was like, ha ha, I understand the Jewish law. Paul was previously a religious zealot. So the very thing these guys were talking about, Paul was an expert on. It says, I was extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Right? It's kind of like, what were those guys thinking? They want to walk into a debate with this guy? Right? I, I uh, had the privilege uh, when I was a college student um, to, to get to watch a debate between a, a Christian scholar named William Lane Craig and some of the guy, I don't even remember who the other guy was. He was an atheist, right? And so this atheist was sort of presenting these points and he presented this point and he was, I can't even remember what the point was, but he was trying to say, make some comparison between the Quran and Islam and Christianity. And so he kind of finished, and then it got to be Dr. Craig's turn, and Dr. Craig kind of looked at him and he said, well, I find it very interesting that you mentioned the Quran. Except he didn't say Quran. He used the Arabic word for Quran. I won't even try to pronounce it. And then he proceeded to talk about how he actually was a scholar of the Quran. And he said, what you're saying is actually not even true about the Quran. You're able to say these other things, right? And so it was like, why did that guy walk into it? He walked into this trap that he sort of set for himself, right? Of like, I'm going to say this thing, but not even think about the fact that that guy's an expert on it. Well, the same thing was happening here with Paul. These guys are like, we're going to talk about ceremonial law. And Paul's like, I'm the expert. I spent my whole life doing this, right? Don't argue with the expert. That's a tip for you. So Paul lays out the case. He can really say... I've been there. I've done that. When it comes to the law, when it comes to these laws, he's really saying the law, being a good person, doing good stuff, 
It's not going to get you there. It's not going to satisfy that justice that's required for your sin. At the same time, although Paul was a religious zealot, he was also a really bad dude. He says it himself. I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He was like killing people. It was like, Paul was like a precursor to ISIS or something, right? He was out there like, I'm going to take these guys and we're going to destroy them. Men, women, children, I don't care. He killed them. It's the kind of thing like, someone was doing that today, the FBI would be after that guy, right? Could go to jail, could get the death penalty for doing the kind of things he was doing. And yet... Here he is. After all of that, he's this really bad dude. He has a gospel authority. And so Paul, he, he previously said, well, the law's not going to get you there. Kind of gives the other side, and he says, grace, God's grace is extreme. It takes God's intervention. God reaching out. Remember that uniqueness? God reaching out is the only thing that's going to satisfy justice. And so I was trying to think, what's a good summation of the two sides of what are being talked about here and um, some of you maybe have heard of Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City and he has this great quote I love this, I thought I would share this with you he says, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, right, that's the religion the law nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel you could be a really bad dude and you can still receive the grace of the gospel he goes on, Paul shows us here in the most vivid way That the gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. It might take a while to think that through and, and, and ponder that. But the summation is really that Paul was utterly saved by grace. Only the gospel calls the sinner out of sin and calls the religious out of religion. So Paul's life was a demonstration of the gospel. Paul's testimony is applicable to me. If you look at verses 23 and 24, I kept hearing he was one, he, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So from this we come to understand that God uses our past before we were Christians and our growth once we were saved to equip us in the gospel. God's plan from the beginning included Paul's intense zealotry for religion. Right? Paul even says it there. He says, God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. God knew. God was like planning, I'm going to use all of this stuff on your behalf on, the, on, the, on behalf of the world. And so only the gospel gave Paul a way to see that there was a value in all of that religious training, all of that zealotry. And yet God's plan also included a fresh start for Paul. He says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, Paul was not on a life trajectory to preach to the Gentiles. Right? Those were the people he like, would have nothing to do with. He was headed the opposite way to teach law to the Jews. 
right? And that's part of, we believe that's part of why he was probably persecuting them, is because he knew that was going to build him up in the eyes of that circle of people and show how zealous he really was. I think of that verse, God was pleased. Who was pleased? Was Paul pleased? No. God was pleased. But was God pleased with Paul's actions? I don't think God was pleased with him killing people. So what was God pleased with? He was pleased that he could call Paul into a new life. Into a new mission. Only God's graciousness would allow him to be pleased with Paul. Only the substitution of Jesus Christ on Paul's behalf would allow God to be pleased with Paul. Let's go back to our diagram here. Hey, brokenness worked on that. Interesting. See, Paul is talking about his own life here. And we'll talk about this more in coming weeks. But see that part where it says recover and pursue? Paul is showing us right here in his own testimony that recover and pursue is not what we do. It's not our actions. It's not our effort. It's what God does in us. God is doing that in us. So the gospel is so great. It's not just you get this thing and then you have a chance to kind of go do all this stuff and work your way back to God's design. God working in you to bring him back. Bring you back to his design. The gospel not only brings us salvation, it empowers us, empowers us to live in a different way. Again, we're going to talk about that more and more in coming weeks. And so because of this, the gospel has the power to radically transform my life. Back there at verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant. I would not be a bondservant. So think about your life. Stop for a minute and step back and think about your life. How much time do you spend trying to please other people? How much time do you spend trying to please your employer? How many extra hours do you work to please your employer? What about your parents? How much time do you spend trying to please your parents? Make them happy with you, whether you're a kid or you're, you're grown up. What about your friends? How often do you make decisions because you think it'll please your friends, the people who are around you? Or your colleagues at work? How often do you say or don't say things because you want to please them? What about your neighbors? How often do you cut your grass because it'll please your neighbors? What about me? Do you guys, did any of you do anything to please me <laughs> or Brad or Rich? Things that please your pastors. It's a very easy trap to fall into. But Paul shows us that the gospel frees me from this. I don't have to be a man pleaser. I don't need to be a man pleaser. It doesn't get me anything. And really this is reiterated throughout the Bible. Interestingly, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man will prove a snare. We're going to get trapped if we fall into that. Trying to please others. 1 Samuel 15 is a story of Saul and he goes out and he disobeys God. And it's his ultimate downfall. But why did he do it? Because he feared having a bad opinion among the people. 
You go back even further into the judges and the story of Samson. Samson and Delilah, and Samson kind of gives in to Delilah. Did it because he was afraid he was going to lose her physical attention. Apostle Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, he says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men. It is the Lord Christ whom you served. You know, I even lived this out in my own life for a number of years when I was a a preteen and a teen and on into college. I was I was caught. I was caught in a cycle of pleasing others. Whether it was my parents or my pastors, uh, my friends. Um, at some point I even thought I needed to please God. I was living in that way to be a pleaser. And yet the gospel frees us. And at some point, God opened my eyes. And freed me. So that I don't have to live to please anybody. I don't even have to live to please him. I can recover and pursue because he's working in me to do that. And so I hope that would encourage you. And I hope that as you look at at Paul's life, you would understand that Paul's reformed life pointed others to Christ. And so you have that opportunity as well. I have that opportunity as well. If God did it for Paul, who was a really bad, but really religious guy, and his gospel came in and changed his life and made him a light to other people, if he did that for Paul, he could do that for me. He can do that for you. And so if the gospel has changed your life, then you are now on a mission. Think about that. You are on a mission. And so as we think about being on a mission, I thought maybe there's some questions we could ask here of ourselves. Um, maybe things that you, you could even write it down on your sheet there, those blank lines at the bottom, but three questions maybe to think about. The first one, is there anyone who God has sent for you to encourage? You have this gospel and you have this opportunity to encourage others. Is there somebody in your life that comes to mind right now who you could encourage. Another question would be, how could you live today so that others would glorify God more? What could you do today so that others would glorify God more? And maybe you need to step back even before that and ask yourself this question. Do you need a Damascus Road experience? That's where Paul was. He was on the road to Damascus. Maybe you need to have Jesus meet you right here. And he's willing to meet you. And I think he's calling out to you to give you an opportunity. Now, I have a video clip here that we're going to play that kind of takes Paul's story on to the next level. I just thought showing it, hold on, showing it in a visual way would be really helpful. I like this presentation because uh, it starts with uh, this first guy who walks in is Ananias, who's a believer who's already there in Damascus. And he's sort of called to, to help Paul um, have this, this gospel moment. And I think there's an opportunity for each of us as we watch this to think about, am I in that place with Paul where I need to have that gospel realization and say, wow, I don't have to be religious and I'm totally saved. I can be, have all the grace to overcome all of the the challenge and the sin that I have and I can go forward and let God work through me and I can recover and pursue his design. So let's watch this clip.
God's given us this message to proclaim it to the world. If you have received this message like Paul, you have the opportunity to share it, to be on this mission. Let's pray. God, thank you for your good news. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place, to satisfy the justice that was due to us. God, I thank you that this this gospel, this good news, it not only saves us, but it empowers us to walk in a new life, a life that's on mission to share that reconciliation with others. God, it's so easy for us to um, receive the gospel and then slip back into to religion and thinking that this mission is somehow good works or somehow a way we need to please you or, or please others. But God, you freed us from that. Thank you for freeing us from that, God. And Lord, I pray anybody who, who has received the gospel, who's had that moment like Paul had where his eyes were opened and his life turned on a dime, Lord, that there any of us who have done that, that you would, you would help us to walk in that mission. God, extend your grace to us in that. And Lord, if there's anybody here who, who hasn't come to that understanding, who hasn't received that good news, Lord, I pray you'd be moving. God, we know that you're calling out to those who are near and those who seem to be far off and saying, come to me, here is my son, Jesus Christ. His death is a free gift and all you have to do is receive it, that all you have to do is open your life and say, I receive you. As my Lord and Savior, I accept the forgiveness Forgiveness you've given for sins. God, thank you for that special and free gift that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the story of Paul, for his testimony, Lord. And I thank you for the testimony of each person who's here, who has received that. God, I pray you would use that to be a light to reach others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.